0: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we are here to preview week 12. That Honestly, that sounds weird to say, Joe. But week 12 of college baseball action. Uh, A fun weekend on tap. Maybe not quite as busy as uh, the last couple weekends. Uh, Finals breaks has done uh, a bit of a number on the schedule this weekend. But still, a lot of good baseball around the country. And we are going to dive into it now. Uh, joe finals break i mean it's uh it's always kind of a weird thing it's a big one just just to see how different schools manage it uh acc schools big 12 schools seem to take these a lot would you have appreciated like a finals break as a as a college student you know trying to do something like this
1: well yeah i mean if if i was because i was going to ask a finals break from from what precisely uh me playing you know uh fifa or incident football on the couch with my roommate probably would have been a good break to take uh during finals but yeah, schedule a finals
0: break into your in your career there
1: <laughs> man i had those died dynasty mode humming though in ncaa football i think we all did um i hope that's coming back in a couple of years just throwing that out in the universe because it seems like it is moving that direction um i think actually officially right they officially announced that's going back considerably football for ea sports they did uh yeah
0: Not this year, but maybe next year. I think is the current timeline. Check out a friend of the pod, Matt Brown. He's uh, he's all over. Uh, Oh, yes. Haven't seen an update from him lately on that, which probably means there's one cooking.
1: As yeah, he has been he has been all over that. It's kind of complicated now because teams have to kind of like opt into it, and it's like a kind of a weird thing. So anyway, uh, but if I was a baseball player, I mean, I I think so Uh, because it. I mean, on one hand, I guess the baseball is kind of maybe like a a nice diversion from. You know, trying to finish finals, but on the other hand, it's just a lot. Like I think it's easy to forget just how much are on these players' plates to begin with. I mean, this is studying on the bus, doing homework on the bus, doing exams and turning papers in from a hotel ballroom. Like it's just a lot. And so to have this break, I think is is probably extremely helpful. And then, oh, by the way, you get on the other side of this, and, and I've heard college players talk about this time and time again that at least the ones on the semester system quarters, obviously a little different, but on the semester system, you know, you get past finals in may and like, you just get to focus on baseball the rest of the way. And that's just a a beautiful thing and a freeing thing for those guys. So that would be the the fun part is to, to get all that past you, you you know, getting a little finals break, getting all that work done and then being able to focus just on the baseball part of it for a month, or hopefully in the case of teams making deep postseason runs, uh, you know, six weeks, seven weeks um, that that's, that's the fun part of the year. And that's kind of what they're, what they're working towards.
0: Yeah. Anything to get past the actual finals part. Cause that definitely not the fun part. I can, uh, <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. I had oh. a,
1: my, my finals nightmare story is my freshman year of college. I had what later, I think I, I figured later was a really bad case of strep throat, but being a, you know, 19 years old, this is second semester finals, being 19 years old and, you know, not necessarily wanting to go to like the campus. I don't even know if I knew how to go to the campus clinic. Like that sounds stupid, but I like really just didn't know how that worked. So like, I didn't want to do that. My doctor back home was back home and I'm not going to leave campus during finals week to go to that. So I just like gutted out an awful case of strep throat during finals week. And, you know, hopefully I didn't infect too many people going to classes. And in today's world, like you know, the, with, you know, us being a little bit more safe about contagion and whatnot, like maybe it would have gone differently, but as it was, I was schlepping it to classes with strep throat and just medicating myself like crazy. That's otherwise, I you know, I feel like it was okay, but that was definitely a, a nightmare finals week for me as a freshman. That is that is a rough one for sure. So shouts to uh to
0: all the whether you're playing baseball or not, to uh everyone grinding through finals this time of year. I uh, I do not envy you. So uh get to get to the finish line and uh, get past it here. All right. So if it's uh if it's a bit lighter week, um really it's just in volume. There's still some really, really good series out here. There's uh, a rivalry series out in Oregon between Oregon and Oregon State. Um, this one they've played couple of midweeks already, but this one is for the the Pac 12 standings. So that's uh it's a top 25 showdown out west. Uh you got Auburn and Arkansas in a big SEC West. Um I mean, we can say it's a title fight, but <laughs> the SEC West standings are so jacked up, so packed up I should say, that it's not uh it's it's not going to just necessarily be the winner of this series that walks out with uh with first place in the SEC West. But anyway, this two- could also
1: be a way to describe it. I mean, you, I don't think you were necessarily wrong. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll take it. I'll take it.
0: Um, so that's a uh, we're going to get to that. We have a again, another kind of title showdown in uh, the Big Ten with uh, Maryland and Rutgers. Um, that one's going to have a really big impact on who wins the, the regular season title uh, in that conference. Uh, so we'll get into that. And then. Uh, a little bit different end of the spectrum we're going to talk a little bit about florida and mississippi state uh, that is a bubble showdown and it really it's not quite must win for florida i don't think but it probably is must win for mississippi state and it, it's pretty close to must win for florida in, in some respects so uh you know we, we spend a lot of time talking about the teams at the top end uh but we're uh we're gonna spend a little bit of time on on uh what the biggest bubble series of uh of the weekend so that's uh that's what we got on tap and then of course we'll go under the radar uh as we always do here joe let's start though out west let's uh let's go to that oregon oregon state series i did they ever rename i I feel like we say this every year did they rename it after they stopped calling it the civil war or or is this just a uh uh, like an in-state rivalry that that no longer has a name
1: good question. Let's get, let's get Josh Norris on the the horn. He would be able to tell us.
0: Uh, Yes, he he absolutely would. Well, regardless of what they call this rivalry, it is an intense one. And, you know, so this year it's a top 25 rivalry. Both of these teams are near the top of the PAC 12 standings. They've played, as I said, twice already in midweek action, Oregon state won both of those, those games were in Eugene. Um, They Oregon State won by two runs in in both games. They are in first place in the Pac-12. Oregon is two games back. Uh, Now the series moves to Corvallis. And again, this one is the one that counts for Pac-12 title purposes. This is a big deal uh, for the Beavers as they look to kind of solidify themselves at the top of the Pac-12 standings. And of course, it's a really big deal for Oregon as Oregon is trying to... Get into the hosting mix, uh, or keep itself in the hosting mix. I, I guess I should say they're they're in the mix, and uh, of course the the they are just two games in back of the Beavers, so they uh, have a chance to to close some of that ground here this weekend. Any way you slice it, it's a big deal. But most importantly, just on the pure rivalry aspect, uh Oregon State um you know of course kind of the historical power here Oregon's been on the come up the last couple years so I I I love all facets of this I love all angles of this series it it should be a great one out there in Corvallis
1: it feels like a rivalry that's like maybe finally coming into its own obviously Oregon State was a good program when Oregon came back on the scene but it didn't take long before Oregon had its downturn and now you you mentioned correctly that it's kind of coming back up so maybe this is finally a rivalry that's hitting its stride and maybe we'll have a sustained period of this being a rivalry that really, really matters, not just in the PAC 12, but, but nationally that would be, I mean, huge for the PAC 12, frankly, just because the, we understand inherently that the there just aren't as many rivalries that resonate nationally on the West coast as there are in other parts of the country and even in baseball and to have something like that would be, I think, huge for the, for the West coast. So but before you expand into mm-hmm. this week, just on the rivalry point, I, I was thinking about this. Mark Wasikowski
0: has been in the job for just a couple of years now. This is Mitch Cannon, you know, also just in the job for for a few years now. They came in, I guess, this is the third year for both teams, both both Cannon and, and Waz. And, you know, it's interesting that they came in together, of course. I don't know, like, uh, you know, in football, you always hear about the, you know, maybe it's just because I'm so Ohio State, Ohio State and Michigan centric, given where I grew up at Cleveland. But you know, there's always this uh this desire around that rivalry to like, oh, it's the new Schembeckler Hayes. Uh heard that so many times. Like, oh, like Brady Hoke's gonna gonna be the foil for for Ohio State here for the next 10 years, you know, whatever it's been. Um and it it obviously never happens, but we don't hear that much in in college baseball, no matter what it is. I mean, the you know, Clemson in South Carolina with uh with, with Leggett and Tanner was was nice, but that just wasn't the focus. I don't know. I that that was just a thought I had that those two guys, Waz and Cannon coming in together. I mean, it it makes for kind of a, a fun, another fun aspect to this rivalry.
1: Yeah, and both, you know, younger coaches on the spectrum of coaches, right? Um, so Mitch uh, Cannon is been... one of
0: the youngest in uh in in the, the five major or you know power five conferences
1: yeah and you know and, and was certainly he had a longer career as an assistant obviously but um you know a younger guy like i said on the spectrum of coaches and so hypothetically this could be something that goes goes on for for quite some times so that would be again good for this rivalry good for the Pac 12 good for the sport all of those things one thing i'm fascinated about with oregon state is is kind of trying to figure out and this doesn't materially matter because it'll get decided on the field just like everything else but I'm kind of fascinated by this idea of this season. We have the clear top team in the country in Tennessee. And then I think we have Oregon state on an Island as the number two team in the country. And then we have everyone else, whether you want to, you know, Oklahoma state right now, or whoever else you want to put at three Um, it, that feels pretty locked in, in terms of what we had in the pecking order right now. And, and I'm not really sure if Oregon state, it's hard to say anybody's any, any closer to Tennessee than they are anything else, but they feel firmly in between those two polarities right now between the dominance of Tennessee and kind of the, just the mush of everything else. Oregon state outside of, you know, losing a series to Stanford, which knocked them out, knocked them back, you know, from where they were originally as the number two team in the country the first time around. Um, But since then has been really steady and, and feels like, Hey, if you're, if you're going to try to get past Tennessee in terms of let's talk about national title contenders, like, it feels like the obvious second choice is Oregon State, and then like it's everyone else behind that. Oregon State has
0: uh, moved up to number two in RPI. Um, so not only do RIs and and uh, anal- and analysis there it is say that, but the the metrics also say that. Um, I think they are pretty certain to be you know right now the the number two seed in the tournament um and you know we can get into this uh, much deeper and we will um you know once the the postseason begins but look the number one overall seed hasn't won the ncaa tournament in how long joe i mean it's been
1: it's been forever Since and- 99. oh nine 99 99 yeah that's, that's I- the f- I- first time in the 64 team era first year right. of the 64 team era. so
0: you know yes, Tennessee is a prohibitive favorite right now and they, and they look amazing and all the rest of that, but we just, you have to understand that baseball is weird. And, you know, I, I, I know nothing about whether they've, they, they peaked early or any of the rest of that. I just know that this game is a weird game and we're talking about not, uh, you know, a, a pretty short sample size, you know, it's a regional weekend is weird. A, a super regional is just one weekend. Anyone can lose in one weekend. And, you know, so yeah, we do need to, you, you can't just give the title to Tennessee and Oregon State is one of those teams that is certainly looks like they're capable of going and getting it done. And I mean, we could talk about the many reasons why that's the case, but I, I just love the depth that they have offensively and they are uh, increasing that depth on the mound. They're getting healthier. And, uh, you know, they, in the absence of some of those guys who, who are now starting to come back, they had to to dip into some other other players. You know, Jacob Kmatz, a big time freshman recruit, has uh, has come on strong the last few weeks. It seems like, and uh, again, as they get healthier, they they're getting some of those uh, more experienced veteran top end guys back. It, it's uh, it's becoming more like the the pitching staff than I thought it was going to be at the start of the season.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, the depth on we've talked about it before, but the depth in the lineup is it is kind of insane because it's not this isn't Tennessee's lineup to draw that comparison again right in terms of like the numbers but outside of Tennessee like it's as good as as anybody and i think even though they don't have the highest average in the country they don't have the most home runs it's not like they're crazy stolen base offense like you know wafford for example running all over the place it's just really solid it's i mean they 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 feel comfortable with like 12 or 13 different guys they will play anyone like they you know last weekend you know they, Jabin Trotsky, who has played. You know, coming into that, had played three games since the month of March. Coming into the weekend against Utah, and he's played in every game since the beginning of the Utah series. And that's not all that uncommon uh, for Oregon State. They just play matchups. They play who they they think is best in a given spot, and more often than not, they end up being right. That's the thing. And so, between that and the fact that I think it shows the depth that, you know, this this lineup. Is is doing what it's doing without guy, a guy like Jake Dukart, who was a pretty steady guy last year for them, or Matthew Gretler being really the centerpieces of it, or being a big part of it anyway. I mean, they're they're both struggling a little bit at the plate this season. You know, it's been the guys we knew, you know, uh, Wade Meckler and, and Jacob Melton taking huge step forward, Garrett Forrester being solid again, but obviously Travis Bazana has has been a big piece of it right out of the, right out of the gate, and then it seems like everyone has just kind of gotten better. Everyone has taken that step forward, um, whether it's terms of the numbers or a guy like Jacob Melton who last year played half a season and you kind of wondered, uh, okay, like his numbers were great for half a season, but how real was that? And he showed us this year that it, it is really real. And on the mound, you mentioned the health. I think that's 100% right. I also think there's something to be said for it feels like they really, especially now that Finneggs is getting healthy, they really know who they are on the mound. You know, it's it's jerpy, it's Kamats, it's Finneggs. And the bullpen, it's Ferrer, it's Sebi, it's Ryan Brown, it's Mitchell Verberg, that's the core. And they've got some other depth pieces around. I don't want to suggest those are the only guys who would ever pitch in a big game, but those are the guys they're really looking at. And I, so I think as the season has gone on, what you're looking to do if you are a national title contender is really figure out and have a very clear picture of who we are as a team. And I think offensively, we've known all along, and on the mound, it feels like that is firming up as the season's gone on. These are the two highest scoring offenses
0: in the Pac-12. Um, Oregon State at 7.9, Oregon at 7.7. And, you know, so we, we spent some time there talking about how great Oregon State's depth of the lineup is. You know, they have some stars. Jacob Melton is a, you know, potential first-round pick. And, um, you know, we've of the praises of um, my freshman of the year pick, Travis Pizana before. And, you know, we can do it again. Uh, but Oregon obviously has a really – Good deep offense as well, and in a year where their pitching plan just has not worked out mostly due to injuries. uh, That offense is the reason why they can come into this weekend only two games back of of Oregon State with an RPI in the top 25 and if they're able to get anything done this weekend, you know might be looked at as a host. Uh, and frankly, might be looked at as a host anyway if they're able to maintain their general positioning in the Pac-12. Um, the West Coast right now really only has one lock as a host, and that's that's Oregon State. Um, you know, I have Gonzaga still hosting in the latest update, but with an acknowledgement that their RPI is slipping. And you know, Stanford I still have hosting, but same after they lost to to Washington State. Um, you know, so th- there's it's not like they're going to put a second host uh, out West just to put a second host out West, but there there's room here for, for an Oregon team to host if they can get hot. Uh, And and so the point of all this is that their offense has been a huge part of, of why that's been able to, to happen. And, you know, it can't be lost that they lost what they lost offensively last year, Aaron Zavala, uh, was an All-American and, you know, a, a second-round draft pick. He got drafted. And Gabe Matthews was uh, – and Kenyon and Yovan were exceptional veteran hitters in the heart of the lineup, and they graduated. And uh, here Oregon is just continuing to click offensively. And and I, I think that that's uh, – we, we can't lose sight of – just because it, it's been this way all season and, uh, you know, maybe it's understandable because Mark Wasikowski is, has been such a good offensive mind throughout his, his coaching career – Uh, It's still been very impressive uh, for Oregon to be able to reload the way they have offensively.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And you know that they look like they might even be getting a little bit better offensively um, because their depth has gotten better. I feel like maybe six weeks ago when we previewed an Oregon series or reviewed an Oregon series at some point we kind of talked about, you know, we might have talked about Bryn Malone being really hot or Anthony Hall or Tanner Smith or what have you, but There were some guys further down the lineup that were still kind of figuring it out, and it feels like more guys have figured it out. They've also gotten some pieces back. Drew Cowley has been exceptionally hot, and getting him back in the lineup after an extended absence has been big, adding to more of that depth. But I think what it comes down to is, I mean, so much of this series cancels itself out. I mean, you know, offensively, even if we want to call it a wash here, um, Oregon State certainly isn't going to back down there. Um, you know, defensively, Oregon State fields it at 989, which is insane. Elite of the elite level defending. So Oregon can't bank on that Le- now. Leads
0: the nation. Leads the nation.
1: Yeah, I mean, could they – could a cluster of errors occur? Sure, you know, this is baseball, right? But so Oregon can't really bank on that, you know. Um, Oregon's going to have to find a way to kitchen sink this thing on the mound and slow down the Oregon State offense at some point. Because, you know, I think Oregon State, particularly – beginning a, a series with Cooper Jerpy, they're going to be able to do that um, even beyond that, right? I mean, Kamats has been really good. Phoenix is getting stronger. All the things we talked about. Um, I think Oregon State can do that in spots. Now, will they shut down the Oregon offense all weekend? I doubt it, but I think they're better equipped to do that. So I just think Oregon's going to have to figure it out. And And to their credit, like we've talked about this before, more often than not, they have. That's the reason they're in this position, right? That's the reason we're still talking about them potentially hosting i mean when you really back away from it it is incredible that adam meyer was probably their best arm on the staff he's been gone since week three of the season you know andrew mosiello missed a lot of time he's one of their better arms and the guys they've turned to you know rj gordon and isaac Ione and, and guys like that just haven't been all that steady they've been scrambling since basically the first month of the season on the mound and yet they've just persevered through it and they've just figured it out. And that's really, really impressive stuff. And, but this is the biggest challenge yet. I mean, all the stuff hosting and all that is right in front of them, especially if they win the series. And it's a, it's a tall, tall task. And I think it, it really does boil down to, can you at least, you know, for a little bit this weekend, slow them down enough to where you're not, you know, your early deficits, if you get behind early, doesn't feel like, in you know, an insurmountable task.
0: It does say good things about where Oregon is coming into this series that they've played Oregon state twice and given up six runs in two games. Uh, This is an Oregon state offense that again is averaging about eight runs per game. So in midweek games, no less, they have been able to to shut it down a little bit. Now on the flip side, their own offense hasn't been able to get it going against Oregon state's midweek arms. And now you have to go face the best pitcher in the country perhaps Uh, statistically Cooper Jerpy's probably been the best pitcher in the country if if you know you're starting to look at player of the year race the one pitcher that i would throw out there would be cooper jerby and he absolutely can be a difference maker we've seen him be a difference maker for oregon state and i kind of think that he is the difference in this series and uh the beavers have him and their oregon just doesn't have a guy to counter that right now um so friday night becomes a really big night for for this series and and we will see how uh how it turns there all right, Joe let's uh let's go back east let's go to the SEC west back east and let's talk about Arkansas heading to Auburn. Uh, this is super intriguing because Arkansas uh, is still holding a lead in the SEC west. Um, they, they have a chasing pack behind them of Auburn LSU and Am all tied for second place and uh Arkansas now has to go on the road and uh and take on auburn and auburn we talked about this on monday looked amazing against tennessee you know i nobody wanted to hear i'm sure on the auburn side how good they looked in losing that series but they looked really good losing that series in knoxville and now they get to go back home uh and and face the team that they are chasing in the sec west standings we talked about how auburn is tracking very well towards not only hosting but potentially being a top eight seed and um, look, if they can get something out of this series, that would that would go a long, long way to locking in a regional in Auburn for the first time since 2010 and giving them the the best chance possible at a uh, at a top eight seed and, and a potential home super regional as well.
1: Twenty Auburn, shout out Hunter Morris. Um, I think he was on the team, Hunter Morris. Like the only name I can remember from the 2010 Auburn team. I
0: think that's right. He was the yeah. first baseman, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Now on the uh, Alabama coaching staff, I believe. I hope all that's right. If not, we're just throwing out all <laughs> kinds of facts that are inaccurate. Um. <laughs> uh. Anyway, uh, with with Arkansas, like, excuse me for a little bit of like word salad here because I'm I'm just gonna kind of stream of consciousness this. But I, it's just such a weird season for Arkansas, and I, I can't decide. I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I can't decide if. This is the part where the word salad comes in. So again, pardon me, listeners and Teddy, like, I, I can't decide if I really don't trust this team because like, I think there, if you want to like find reasons to do that, like, I think you can, Um, you know, the offense just hasn't been as good as we expected. And, you know, uh, if we've talked about this before, but if not for transfers and Michael Turner and Chris Lanzilli, you really kind of shudder to think where it would be. And there's a lot, you can point to a lot of stuff there. Like, you know, Robert Moore has not taken a step forward offensively that, We thought maybe could be there. Peyton Stovall hasn't been the impact guy. That was my freshman of the year pick. Like, and you know, I think a lot of people felt similarly about him that way. He has not been the instant impact, like real dude in the lineup that we thought he'd be. There's a million reasons why, but the offense just hasn't been as dynamic as it has been in the past. Could potentially be all of that stuff. They figured some things out on the mound, but as the season has gone on, some of that has backslid a little bit. So there are reasons to be kind of distrustful. On the other hand. Like, here they are, the most consistent thing in the SEC outside of Tennessee. And for the most part, they just kind of keep winning. And they do so kind of in humble fashion, right? Like, I can't remember the last time I saw a result from Arkansas and, like, thought, like, holy cow, they look good doing that. But then, like, I think about that, and I'm like, is that kind of a virtue? Like, is, is this what they're doing? Like, is this the blueprint? Like, I know offensively it's not the blueprint, right? Like, they would not have drawn up Robert Moore hitting 230 with four home runs or, or what have you. Like, so I'm saying, I know that's not the blueprint offensively, but I just mean, is that the blueprint of like what kind of they're doing is kind of quietly going about their business and winning games in humble fashion. And I mean, humble in terms of not necessarily their attitude, but I just mean in terms of like, they're not blowing you away. Um, again, that's a word salad, but it just just kind of describes where I am with Arkansas where I can't tell if like, it's the really good team. I trust the least or if it's like the most inconsistent or the the inconsistent team that I trust the most. But I feel like it's probably one of those two things ultimately. And I'm not sure where I fall.
0: I also have a lot of confusion about Arkansas. And I think you hit on a lot of those points Uh, to put some metrics behind it. Arkansas is 29th in RPI. This is a team that has not left the top 10 in the baseball America top 25 all season long. If you look at various polls, uh, you will find, probably, frankly, people that like Arkansas even more than we do. If you look at, if you just track where Arkansas has been and in all of the rankings at various times this year, like, I don't know, I bet we've been the low man on Arkansas most of the time. And I'm telling you, they haven't left the top ten. Maybe they were eleventh some week. I, I I really should should have looked before I started that, but I I guarantee you, no lower than eleven for us at any point during the season. Their RPI has never matched that. And it won't in part because of what they did in the non-conference, but this is a team that really struggles. I shouldn't say struggles away from home, just is not as good away from home. Hasn't played that many road games. That's another reason why they're 29th. They're four and five in true road games, um, seven and six outside of Fayetteville, only eight and six against top 50 teams. Uh, that is not a good mark in relation to, uh, to really any other team that that you'd be talking about for uh uh, for hosting, for for being a a, a top eight or, or whatever, um, you know, Auburn is only nine and six, but that's that's the only one close that that that's really in that mix. So like Arkansas just hasn't quite really had these these showcase series, and when they have had them, and you know, I don't know that playing A and M in College Station two weeks ago was showcase in quotes because at the time A and M was still building to the point where. Winning that series would have really meant something in in the same way that it would now that they're a top 15 team and sure look like they're going to host. But, you know, Arkansas lost a series of Florida. They did sweep LSU at home. That that's probably the best thing that you can point to them doing this year. Uh, So I'm really interested in seeing what they have this weekend. The spotlight is going to be on Arkansas this weekend in a way that it hasn't been frankly, maybe since the second week of the season when they went to round rock and lost to Stanford. I mean, it, it's just been a team that's been able to operate in the shadows a little bit, uh, just by virtue of how the schedule broke. And, you know, the one time maybe that there was a little more scrutiny on them or, or the bigger spotlight when they went to Florida. Um, you know, Florida obviously has been super inconsistent themselves, but they went out and they they lost that series. And that that looked like, oh, Florida might be bouncing back here. It turned out they weren't. But like. I don't know. It's just a. It's been a weird deal. And also, if you look at the way they're managing this team, uh, there is a very definite. You you talked about, you know, how Oregon State had like found the guys that trusted. Well, Arkansas is known who it trusted pretty much from the start, and it's a very small group. And that goes on on both offense and and in the pitching staff.
1: Yeah, and there there are bubbling questions on the on the pitching staff too for Arkansas. Where you know, I read uh, shout out Matt Jones, the Arkansas Democrat, because that I, I saw a piece he put online this week about this kind of feeling a little bit like the last stand for Jackson Wiggins in the rotation. He was super solid earlier this season, even if he was never it was never like excellent, but he was like good enough considering the somewhat modest expectations for what he could be in the rotation because he had improved it. Um, but that started to backslide. as ERA is now overall over six or approaching six i should say and that you know it, Dave Van in david horn in the piece by matt like David horn kind of gave voice to that a little bit of like yeah we're, we're sticking with him for now but we do have options we, we have considered some other options if we have to go a different direction i'm paraphrasing of course but that's more or less where it's at so like you say that and that's absolutely true and i think it's we can see it in, in someone like that right now where it's really feels kind of week to week on him as as the third guy and I think what's helped that a little bit is one, obviously Connor Nolan, like we can't say enough about how the steadying influence he has been in the, in the, in the pitching staff generally. And then Hagan Smith, after kind of hitting a little bit of a dip feels like maybe he steadied the ship a little bit. And when it comes to freshmen, you're often, that's kind of what you're looking for is the boomerang where, you know, maybe you come out hot and let's man, this guy's, you know, this is the next one of the next big things in college baseball. Then you maybe hit a little bit of that freshman wall or however you want to describe it. And then maybe you figure out a way to get past it. And maybe that's what's happening here. You certainly hope so, even though the innings thing is going to be, for any freshman, uh, something you have to watch. But So I say all that to say, like, it, it is it is a thing that Arkansas feels like they're working on thin margins in terms of who they're leaning on. And, and perhaps on the mound, it, it stands to maybe get a little bit thinner, depending on how things go this weekend.
0: Well, it's um, it's interesting you mentioned Hagan Smith. I mean, Brady Tiger, also a freshman who has been spectacular for them at the back of the bullpen. Um, but there's a lot riding on a couple freshmen. Uh, and and that's not surprising. You know, we talked, I talked plenty about how many innings they lost and how the top five guys in terms of innings pitched from last season are all missing this year, either because they left or because of injury. Uh, so it was always going to be a situation where they had to trust some, some new players and uh, a couple of those freshmen have really stepped up, but they, they need them to keep it going. And also, I mean, like for everything you said about Jackson Wiggins, I mean, that's all true, but also they lost back to back Connor Nolan starts not through any fault of his own. Uh, but they've lost back to back counter Nolan starts. and uh, I don't think that's a good recipe for success here. Now, having said all of that about Arkansas, uh, you know, as we mentioned in the Monday pod, Auburn is coming into this weekend, a little beat up on the mound themselves. They didn't have the deepest pitching staff to begin with. Uh, it's gonna have to be, I think, a bit of an offensive weekend uh, for Auburn particularly knowing that Arkansas's offense hasn't really clicked. If uh, if Auburn's own offense can click against this Arkansas pitching staff, I, I think I do like their chances there at
1: home. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, you know, Arkansas – excuse me, Auburn is going to have to be ready to to fight, to scrap, and I think we saw that last weekend. I mean, their, their pitching was short from day one, basically, because of the injuries they had in that Friday night game, and they were fine. Like, the, I mean, they would have liked to have given up fewer runs in some cases. Sure. But, but they were they were fine. Like that the pitching staff that that's going to be the question moving forward, with this Auburn team, you know, based on some of those injuries and, and the fact that it wasn't that deep to begin with is how does the pitching staff stand up? And last weekend against Tennessee, it was it was just fine. You know, obviously Friday got away, but, you know, we can kind of hand wave that, I think, based on a number of things. So that is that is the thing and there, there are a number of things we can point to there. We've talked about some of them before whether it's Joseph Gonzalez standing up and really being a guy for them on on Sundays and that's really one of the big things because it does kind of give you at least one day where you feel good about getting some some length but the way they use their bullpen is 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 interesting. They're not afraid to give guys 3-4 innings at a time and and you know this is a season where I've heard a lot of people and rightfully so sing Butch Thompson's praises for the way he you know, the way he manages, not just the pitching staff, but manages his whole team is that, you know, you mentioned the modest expectations uh, in the earlier episode this week, the modest expectations for Auburn this season, they've exceeded every one of, and I don't, you know, I don't need to sing the praises of of, of Butch or, or any other coach, just because, you know, um, you know, th- these guys get their laurels, whether it's just in, um, you know, praise they get, or, you know, that obviously the salaries they're paid, all that kind of stuff. Like they have plenty of people that are, they're giving that. but he's, he's a guy who, and I also just think we don't, you and I, people like you and I don't always know exactly what it's easy to point to a coach when a team plays well. It's easy to point to a coach whenever teams like exceed expectations. And when the reality is we don't, there are a lot of things that play into that and we don't know. However, I say all that to say, like I hear that refrain enough to feel pretty confident that like he is just someone who, you know, can upgrade the play of his team based on just the way he's able to kind of manage things. And so um, I think this, this has certainly, uh, he's going to be stress test again, down the stretch, just based on having to deal with some additional adversity. But, um, based on what we saw last weekend, I think this is, um, this going to be an opportunity team that's going to be ready to fight. They're going to be at home. That helps. And and you mentioned it up top, Hey, you know, Auburn, do you want to host like, here it is, you know, get a result this weekend and you feel really, you might not need to get a result, but if you get a result this weekend, you feel really, really, really good. And suddenly you can start to get a little bit greedy and talk about being a top eight and, and everything that comes with that. Well, you opened the door for me to sing the praises of Butch Thompson,
0: and I will walk right through that. Last year, it was the hiccup, right? But every year prior to that, Auburn exceeded expectations. They got to Omaha in 2019 in a year that they were not, like that's the year after Casey Mize was drafted. The year with Casey Mize, uh, they were not expected to, you know, they, they took a big step forward from where they had been the year before, um, you know, they Went into a tough regional in Raleigh. uh, And, and, you know, they were in the hosting mix and and everything looked really good that year. And they got to the tournament ahead of schedule. Uh, Everything has just been a history of exceeding expectations at Auburn under Butch Thompson, except for last year, a weird COVID year. They dealt with a lot of injuries, whatever. Uh, But I think what they've done this year is show that they bounced past, bounced back from that very well. Uh, They played the portal exceedingly well. He just, Gets it and uh, I, I can't, you know, the the demeanor that he has. I, I, I just think that that plays so well. He's so calm, like at all times, basically. Uh, and, and it, it just seems like it plays really well with his team. And you know, he's gone through uh, some coaching changes there as his assistants have gone different jobs. You know, Brad Bohannon gets hired by Alabama, he brings in Carl Nanamaker from ODU, they keep rolling pretty well there. Uh, they're still recruiting at a high level. He's had a few different pitching coaches uh, before landing on Tim Hudson. Now uh, the one, uh, the, the the steady guy has been Gabe gross who does a great job with their offense. I mean, it, it's just a, uh, they get it done there. And uh, I mean, you have to say a lot about them. Now this weekend is a big, 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 big opportunity. Like you said, if, uh, if they go out, get a result, this is probably a top eight host. Uh, if they, just win a game here, finish nice down the last couple of weeks, uh, they're, they're probably still hosting a regional. And so uh, a lot of kudos to uh, to Auburn for what they've done this season. And it's not just Butch. Um, it's the whole coaching staff. It's the players. Sonny Deshara is a candidate for Player of the Year Award for a reason. And, uh, you know, Arkansas is going to have to deal with him leading that offense this weekend. So, uh, you know, looking forward to this series, big one in the SEC, Uh, and beyond. All right. We're going to move on from here. Uh, but, but before we do so.
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed.
0: So we'll we'll hit that ad break. So we'll be back here in a second. But first, check this out. Welcome back to the Baseball America College podcast. Um, So before that break, I guess even before the break, we were uh, trying to Uh, Figure out if the Oregon and Oregon State rivalry had a new name, Joe. And I uh, spent some time on Wikipedia uh, during the ad break. And the answer is no. They're just calling it whatever they're calling. Like, it doesn't have a name. But the Wikipedia does have notable game-related incidents. Now, these are all related to football. uh, But the early history of this rivalry was insane. Um, In 1954, approximately 50 Oregon students infiltrated Corvallis and lit the traditional homecoming bonfire early. While it had done, been done before, this time, Oregon State students were able to capture 25 Oregon students and hold them, quote, prisoner. I don't know why prisoners in quotes there. It kind of seems like they literally held them prisoner. Captured students had their head shaved, were painted orange and black, and some were forced to do menial labor for Oregon State fraternities. One captured Oregon student was marched through the Oregon State campus with a sign that read, I'm a dumb duck. And, uh, Later, we'll find uh We'll have an interview with the uh, the dumb duck himself, as I believe Josh Norris was our uh, uh, was that student in 1954 that that was paraded through the campus.
1: A record number of Josh Norris references in in one <laughs> podcast. It's crazy how much when you read about old college rivalries or just college sports in general, how much how much stuff happened in like you know the turn of the century or even up to like the 1940s and 50s that would like have people in prison today. In 1960, one of them kidnapped the other's home- Oregon student
0: abducted the Oregon State homecoming queen, like literally kidnapped the homecoming queen. Now she was only gone for 30 minutes, but that's still literally kidnapping. <laughs> like what? That's a 1960. I didn't even get to like the early 20th century stuff with like riots and like plenty of other like crazy hazing stuff. But like as late as 1960, they were just out there kidnapping homecoming queens.
1: Yeah, like it seems like I mean you you can't go that far reading into old rivalries until you get like to like murdered live mascots or like branding another team's live mascot or yeah, I mean just yeah, it was it was a very different time. I'm glad that we don't have those types of scandals anymore. I mean, like when you think about it, the tree situation at Auburn like pales in comparison to this stuff. Yeah, no kidding. That's uh that's child's play for like you know, like the 1950s version of that would have been that the guy would have just like gone out there with a chainsaw or set the tree on fire or something yes, like that. yes yes
0: yeah. he would not have found out because like he called fine Bomb months after because he was upset that nobody realized what he had done you know like he would have known exactly what he'd done at the moment that he did it Uh anyway move it on let's uh let's go to the big 10. It's Maryland heading up to Rutgers, uh, a very Big Ten uh, in 2022 uh, situation here. And these two teams have been, you know, at or near the top of the Big Ten standings for most of the season now. Uh, Maryland has been in the Baseball America Top 25 almost uh, the whole season. Moved in, uh, I believe it was after opening weekend when they... Uh, went out and beat Baylor on the road there, and since then they've uh, they've been hanging out in the top twenty-five. They are in second place uh, in the Big Ten standings behind Rutgers, two and a half games back. Um, only one game back in the loss column, however, so a little closer than maybe that two and a half would would suggest. Rutgers, of course, had the very long winning streak uh, for a time ran it up to 16 games and that covered a lot of the start of the Big 10 season. They are 15 and 3 in Big 10 play. Their RPI has really slipped. At one point it was into into the 30s. Now it's 55. That'll still get you in in the Big 10 particularly if you're in first or second place, but it is something to be monitoring if you're the Scarlet Knights and adds a little bit to uh to this weekend I I would think. Uh Maryland much stronger in terms of RPI they're 27 not good enough to host but good enough to pretty firmly put them in the field and that's probably going to be true no matter what happens uh, this weekend uh but but the Big Ten first place in the Big Ten is uh is you know potentially going to be decided by this series here Uh, so a lot to play for Ryan Lasko from Rutgers is coming in red hot he's hit like I feel like six home runs in the last week that number might may actually be five, whatever he is. He's coming in red hot Rutgers center fielder and uh, Ryan Ramsey of, uh, of Maryland threw a perfect game last Friday. So a lot of star power here, a lot of, a lot of, you know, just good teams here at the top of the big 10 and and you've got, uh, you know, implications towards the title race. I don't know what more you'd want in a series uh, in May.
1: And the big 10 expansion bowl. Um, yeah, it is, a, it is a not not the um not not what you think of with the big 10 series, but this year it's it's you know probably the biggest series in the conference, and it's it's kind of strange that it feels like Maryland has dominated and yet they're not in first place in the big 10. And to add another layer on top of it, unless they sweep this thing, they're not going to end the weekend in first place, <laughs> like they could win this series and still finish, still end up behind Rutgers because they are two and a half behind Rutgers as we. As we stand today, so you know, just it's it's weird. It's it's a weird situation. Um, that's that's the Big Ten. We've talked about that a million times. The scheduling makes it so. Um, so maybe we do get a little clarity in the, especially if Rutgers wins the series. I think we do get a lot of clarity in terms of the standings. I think generally, though, in the more, uh, which is it's more interesting and also more um, less quantitative than this is it feels like we're really actually going to get an idea on Rutgers here. I mean, they lost a series to Iowa. So we, we kind of got an idea there, but you can lose a like even good teams, except I guess Tennessee this year lose series. Right. And so even if we're willing to kind of like give them a little bit of a mulligan on that one, like I think this series will tell us a little bit more because if they lose this one too, I think we'll know a little more about what this Rutgers team actually is. Now, again, they will still be leading the big 10 in all likelihood unless they get swept. But if if they lose it, I think we know that this Rutgers team is is much much better than the predecessors uh, that Rutgers has put out there. But but maybe it's just not quite ready for prime time, and it's been propped up a little bit by some favorable scheduling and or the the, the fact. And these things are related, but the fact that teams that you know three or four years ago would have described a gauntlet in the Big Ten, like Minnesota, Nebraska, Indiana, Ohio State, are just all not very good this year, and they've gone through all of those teams. I say that in part because I don't want to lose some of the big, big picture stuff here, which is Rutgers was pretty good last year and obviously didn't amount to anything because there was no big 10 tournament. It was a weird year, all of that stuff. Um, I don't really want to lose sight of the fact that even Rutgers just being in this position where they're laying waste to the, the the worst teams in the big 10 with relative ease. And we're sitting here like kind of, thinking about like whether or not they're actually the best team in the big 10 just them getting to this stage is incredible for this program and like should be celebrated because this is a team that has never made a big 10 tournament and now that's a relatively short history i get it but the number of teams who haven't made a big 10 tournament is is pretty small right i mean now it's a a lot of those teams have been in the big 10 forever but but that in and of itself, kind of the same way we talk about Utah making the Pac-12 tournament. Like Rutgers making the Big Ten tournament would have been before the season. You would have thought, okay, that's just some progress. Now, obviously, they had bigger ideas internally, and that's been borne out by the results. But, I, you know, regardless of how the weekend goes, like, it should be celebrated what Rutgers is doing here. Because it's going to be easy if Maryland goes and win this series for us to all point at Rutgers and go fraud. And, like, maybe there's some truth in that in terms of, like, being a Big Ten title winner type team. But like what they've done is nothing short of incredible when you consider kind of the valleys this program has gone through as a member of the Big Ten. I like the idea
0: that like you're gonna line up when Maryland wins the se- If Maryland wins this series, <laughs> like you're gonna go to Piscataway and just like point at, point at them from like the baseball field, just frauds, frauds. That's right.
1: That's right. <laughs> College this series is such a big deal, like many people will be saying this. There will be the entire world will be lining up. <laughs> to uh to to give them a hard time for losing this series. I mean that's an interesting thing about this series though. Like distance wise, not that far. Obviously, College Park to Piscataway. Like if things go well, that'll take you three hours or what have you. Even though like a bus on the Jersey Turnpike, I guess like could be a particularly difficult experience if if traffic is bad. But um, you know, it's not like going to play in Piscataway is kind of a little bit of an uncanny valley situation where it's not it's not a good facility. Um. It's small. It's the crowds are the crowds are probably a lot better these days, especially this season. But like, it's not a typical it's very different from going to Indiana or Nebraska or even Iowa or even Illinois. Like, it's just far and away so different from most, if not all of the rest of the Big Ten. And you're playing all your games in the day. Your Friday game is going to start at two o'clock. It is kind of a it's just a weird place to go. And for most of the Big Ten, Part of that is the distance. Maryland doesn't really have to worry about the distance so much, but it still strikes me as a, a place that's just kind of weird to go play, and that can that adds a layer of difficulty. I think
0: it is uh, it is interesting, and everything you said about Rutgers being in this situation um, is uh, is definitely true. And that some of that you just further outlined there. Uh, you know, the this is not the best facility in the Big Ten. It's not the second best facility in the Big Ten. It's almost certainly the worst. And, you know, Steve Owens hasn't been there that long. He hasn't had that long to put his stamp on the program, uh, but he's quickly turned it around. And the fact that we are talking about Rutgers baseball on this podcast in May is a testament to what he's been able to accomplish uh, in, in the few seasons he's been there as a head coach. And now we've talked about Rutgers on this podcast a few times since then, or since he arrived, he himself has been a guest on the pod and, uh, we talked a lot about Rutgers last year after they won back-to-back road series against Michigan and uh, and Nebraska to put themselves in a position coming into May uh, that they were you know kind of bubbly in the NCAA tournament. Now May did not go well for that team, and so I think that that experience they have to have learned from that uh, because this is again kind of a challenging May coming up. Here. Starts with this next weekend they play Bowling Green and. You know, look, that's not going to matter in terms of conference standings. And Bowling Green is not good this year. RPI 269. But they also have to be good enough that they don't allow themselves to turn off just because they're not playing in a Big Ten series. Uh, Because if they lose, frankly, any of those games next weekend to Bowling Green, it's going to be very problematic for an RPI that already isn't great. And then they finish uh, at Michigan. And now Michigan this year is not as good as they've been the last few i would say uh but still good enough to beat you definitely good enough to beat you um you know if you're not if you're not up for it so it, it's a big may is what i'm saying it, it starts here i'm sure they'll be up for this uh but they got to stay up for the next few weeks rutgers is also an interesting team i or it's an interesting matchup right because rutgers and we've talked about this i feel like Best part of Rutgers is probably their bullpen, at least in terms of the pitching staff, best parts of the bullpen. Dale Stanovich, Sam Bello, uh, have been excellent back there. Ben Gorski as well. Uh, best part of Maryland's pitching staff is its rotation. So just going to be two different approaches, which I think makes it a little bit fun that, you know, Maryland is going to be really reliant on, on its starters, whereas Rutgers is going to be just trying to, to get through not not just like get its own starters out of the game but you know they are a team that wants to get into their bullpen and and let those guys work so just the the different strategies that you know these teams employ on their pitching staff i think makes for uh for a more interesting matchup
1: no doubt and it's i mean there there are interesting things kind of all over the place on here uh, in this matchup because it's um a matchup of the big Ten's best in a lot of ways i mean these are the Big 10's two top teams in terms of batting average. These are the Big 10's two top teams in terms of home runs. Uh, These are the teams that are second and third, Rutgers and Maryland in that order, in ERA behind Iowa. You know, these are, you know, Rutgers is the best fielding team um, in the Big 10. Maryland is actually down an eight, so that is maybe like, and it's not a big difference. It's 980 versus 972. So in the grand scheme of things, not a huge, huge difference, but um that is maybe a little bit of an advantage there, especially on a home field for Rutgers. Um, but this is really the the matchup of the year in the big 10, just not just from the record standpoint, but these have been statistically the two best teams in terms of what they're, what they're putting on the field. Um, you know, you mentioned Ryan Lasco for Rutgers, but Nick Cimello, who's a Manhattan transfer um, is another guy who could be putting together a big 10 player of the year campaign in a year when the big 10 player of the year race feels even today on May, whatever it is, fourth or 3rd, what what is today's date? Anyway, um, you know, feels like uh it feels like it's still wide open so um this yeah th- this is again it's it's it is a little bit weird that you know Rutgers could still come out of this weekend <laughs> leading even if it loses the series here but it does feel like this is this is it in the big ten like this is this is kind of what's deciding like who actually uh who we remember is the is the team of the year in the big ten even though it may not necessarily play out that way when it's all said and done
0: I promise not to let our friend Ryan McGee know that you didn't know today was May 4th. I'll, uh, that's I'll let right. that one
1: slide. Yeah, that's right. It is May 4th. That's right. Not a, not a, I have, I have only seen a star war or two. Like I'm not, uh, well, again, no, no like I, if McGee is listening, I can't do anything about this, but if he's missing this
0: episode, I, uh, I will, I will spare, spare you, uh, <laughs> letting, letting him know that, uh, before we move on from this one last note on Rutgers. I mean, we I, we have said multiple times, like, oh, the, the bullpen's the best part of this staff. And, you know, that's not as much about the starters. And uh, all of that's true. But, like, it also should be said that Rutgers has been without opening day starter Brian Fitzpatrick for a couple months now. So, I mean, it's not like necessarily they wanted it to be this way. Um, they thought Fitzpatrick was really going to make a jump this year. He's a guy with a lot of potential. And if you know, he's been out the whole time, they've been in Big Ten play uh so you know that that was a significant loss for them and uh you know that that has put additional pressure on the bullpen and Stanovich and Bella have been able to to eat some of that up but uh and also shout out you mentioned some of the transfers offensively Nathan Florence um you know has uh has been a a big addition for them as well coming from from Hartford uh to step into that rotation and he's done a good job in Big Ten play so it hasn't gone. I mean, nobody, it doesn't go to plan for anybody really. Uh, but it hasn't gone fully to plan for Rutgers, but they are they've done a great job to uh to get to this point. All right, let's uh let's go back to the SEC. Let's hit on Florida and Mississippi State. Um, this is in some respects a must-win series. Um, these are two teams that are around the bubble and around the bubble for Similar reasons, but also different reasons. Florida is 8-13 and in the SEC coming into this. Their RPI is 20. Their strength of schedule is number three. And what that RPI and strength of schedule mean historically is that this is not a team that needs to get to 15 SEC wins. You just have to go back to last year, look at what LSU and Alabama's resume was getting into the NCAA tournament. All of that looks pretty similar to Florida. All of that means Florida probably needs only about five more sec wins over the next three weeks now five wins in three weeks doesn't sound that like a ton and when you're playing mississippi state missouri and south carolina all three teams also under 500 in the sec it seems like it sets up pretty well for florida to get that done except that um florida is now without hunter barco who had tommy john surgery today as we record this on wednesday Uh, so they're missing their ace. And they're on the road both at both this weekend and next weekend against Mizzou. And just ask Mississippi State how tough Mizzou can be. Um, You know, one of Joe's favorite things is that everyone that sees Mizzou this year says, "Oh, they're a lot better." They are winning, not enough better that they're going to you know win enough games to to make the NCAA tournament or anything. But it's not it's not an easy series uh, that Florida has next weekend at Mizzou. So. That's where Florida is. Mississippi State is uh, does not have the metrics in their favor at all. They are nine and 12 in the, SEC, or in, in the SEC. Their RPI, however, is 86. Their strength of schedule is 66. Their non-conference strength of schedule is 269. Uh, not a whole lot of credit is going to be given to them. Uh, you know, they are, they are just going to have to win the requisite number of SEC games. And so that means that they need either five or six more sec wins themselves probably emphasis on six and you'll remember sec tournament counts uh all conference tournaments count toward the committee counts conference tournament games as conference games so if you just are looking to get to a number um you know those do count in hoover so mississippi state has florida at home at a and home against tennessee uh, so uh, Mississippi state is really going to need to make some hay this weekend, given what, what is on the rest of the slate. So a uh, big weekend from a, from a bubble perspective there in Starkville, which is not, I think what anyone would have expected from the series at the start of the season, everyone would have expected us to be talking about this series, but because it should have been like a top 10 series.
1: Yeah, you've got a couple of those isn't, isn't, um, Ole Miss this weekend is also speaking. Of Missouri is playing Missouri this weekend. Do I have that right? Uh, I believe yes, you're correct. Yeah, in Oxford. So like this series, if you if you gave us a series before the season, we're like, okay, you know, this is like SEC title type type stuff, right? And like, no, it's a it's a bubble matchup. And then you know, Missouri and Ole Miss, like I think you that obviously looks like a big mismatch. But like that's a battle to get to Hoover. You know, so um, like things are, things are just different, man, in the SEC this year. Uh, just yeah, not, Friday not night expected.
0: should have been like the best pitching matchup of the year. Or one of them anyway, with Barco going against Sims. Instead, they both have had Tom and John surgery.
1: Now. Yeah, we get we neither. Yeah. Uh, setting aside for Mississippi State, you know, it's interesting to me that setting aside like the, the leadership part, which I'm, I'm not setting it aside because I don't think it matters. I'm just setting it aside because I it's not necessarily part of this conversation. You know when they when they lost the pieces they lost Rowdy Jordan Tanner Allen coming out of last year, you know we started to have some questions about the Mississippi State offense and like I think they've actually found the guys offensively. You know it's kind of funny looking at their stat line now. By the way, these two teams both in the top ten in the country in home runs. I did a little thing in three strikes this week about the team home run leaders. Both of these teams in the top ten in homers. Now Florida got their uh, just now because they hit six home runs against South Florida in the midweek. So that got them into the top 10. They previously were not, I had to edit that this morning, as a matter of fact. Um, but anyway, regardless Mississippi state's kind of like speaking of the transfer portal, RJ Yeager, after a slow start has really hit the ball. Well, he leads in with 16 home runs, you know, Brad Cumbis has taken a step forward, you know, Cameron James seems to have taken a step forward. Like, you know, uh, you know, he was a guy I feel like that was, you know, kind of one of those guys that struck out a lot and, you know, he'd run into a ball, like he's improved, uh, Logan Tanner's more or less the same Henry was last year. He's not taking a step back. Hunter Hines has been an instant impact guy, you know, just, you know, up and down the lineup, but it feels like they found the guys offensively and whether it's because the pitching just hasn't been good enough to make up for that or to help them, which I think is, is true as part of that, or just because you can replace some of the statistics, but you can't necessarily replace the people. And that's where you start to talk about like the leadership stuff, the intangible stuff, whatever it is, it's probably a combination of those things, but, you know one of the big questions we had was was what is this offense really like how much impact is going to be in this offense like how much are they going to hit Like, mean, it feels like for the most part they got that part right Um, but the injury to Sims obviously set them back a couple of other injuries in the pitching staff Stone Simmons guys like that have have been impactful they haven't necessarily found other guys on the mound the same way they found guys in the lineup but um, that part of the game is is really working for them and it just hasn't quite been enough and you know they might still end up getting to a regional which i think they deserve um some credit for kind of fighting their way to that but um that you know they they did kind of figure out one side of this thing and it it just hasn't quite been enough on the other
0: that series loss last weekend is really gonna hurt mississippi state i feel like just the way that this finishes even if they win this weekend against florida the fact that they now have to go to college station we've talked at length about how well AM's playing right now and then they play tennessee on the final weekend and their best hope for that i guess would be that tennessee at that point has clinched everything it cares to clinch and just is kind of cruising to the finish but i don't know that tennessee has that in the you know like uh so i i just wouldn't want to leave anything to that series so i mean that that's part of what makes this weekend such a big deal uh for for them for the Gators uh, you know they're they're coming off of a series win against Kentucky um and that that's gives them a, a bit of momentum after a couple mm-hmm. tough weekends against Vanderbilt and Tennessee. uh, everything that seems manageable in front of them, but this is a team that just hasn't been very consistent this year and has had some really bad moments. So, you know, they have popped up every every now and again and, and done something that reminds you how, talented they are they won that series against arkansas you know they they have things like that on the resume they are one of two teams that has a series win against miami i know that's going back a ways but like that's on their resume they should be able to do what they need to do here down the stretch but should and will are, are two different things and i'm uh i'm just very interested to see what what it looks like in starkville this weekend because this is A potentially very very tricky spot obviously going into the new dude is is challenging at any time and going in there knowing that you you need to play well to to get into the NCAA tournament uh, I mean that that just raises the stakes here so uh, I I am very curious how both teams respond to the pressure of this weekend
1: yeah this is where the you know the Mississippi State baseball fan base being what it is can can end up paying off because it's It's one thing when your team is national title good to make that place electric. There are a lot of places that can be electric if your team is that good. Mississippi State obviously is an order of magnitude better than that when they're that, but I'm just saying like a lot of places can give you a great atmosphere like that. But when your team is just kind of meh, like and their fan base still shows out and gives them you know, a good atmosphere, like that's where you really can have that home field advantage and you need it. Because there are also a lot of places that when their team is pretty meh like this, don't really turn out and don't really give their team that kind of advantage. So this is where that 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 legendary fan base can kind of make a difference. I feel like in this case, for Florida, feels like a, a big thing is 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 the Brandons on the mound. I mean Brandon Neely has has given them a little bit of a jolt last week against Kentucky. He was yeah thrown four hitless innings and had to come off because of a rain delay, so didn't get to extend that and see how far that would go. But he's picked them up a little bit when they've really needed it on the mound. And then Brandon Sproat has just been up and down we've talked about that a couple of times this season that has really continued all year and that seems to be a key like if, if they can get the neely they've seen in recent starts and they can get the good version of brandon sprote like florida might be in business here and like that has you know that feels like a formula to them winning the series and if you're going to point to any one thing for the gators that might need to go right it's it's that in a season when i won't belabor it too much and go line by line here but it just feels like for florida it's been one of those death by a thousand cuts seasons, like not having Barco felt like the big blow here, but it's, you know, it's some other guys on the mound, not being as consistent. They've got a lot of stuff on the mound and haven't found necessarily a lot of pitchers necessarily. Uh, the offense has had a couple breakout stars, but there are some other guys that haven't taken steps forward. It just kind of feels like a lot of little things that have conspired to have Florida underachieve, but uh, like Mississippi State, they still have a chance to kind of get things going and at least get to the postseason and and build something here. Because, look, when you're this talented, this goes for both teams. When you're this talented, you get into a regional and things can happen. And so, you know, it's easy to kind of feel down about the way these two seasons have gone, but there's still a lot of stuff in front of them. No doubt
0: about that. Uh, All right, Joe, let's go under the radar. What do you got for us this week?
1: Okay, let me get my trusty little notepad here and put it in front of me so i can uh read out what we have here okay so uh odu at southern miss uh that's not too under the radar because southern miss is a top 10 team um however you know it, it's it's interesting in, in conference usa like uh, old dominion is good enough to beat southern miss old dominion by the way second in the nation in home runs while we're talking about home runs 95 of them on the year now it not being in norfolk is helpful for southern miss in terms of that Um, but it's kind of funny. We talked about this phenomenon a couple of times this year, but you know, old dominion is not that much different than the team last year. Uh, now they've taken on more losses in CUSA, but that's kind of the point. Like CUSA is a little more consistent is a little less top heavy old dominions, more or less the same team they were last year, maybe better offensively. And they're going to need to probably win the CUSA tournament to be a postseason team. And that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles when you're in those, those non-traditional power leagues. Uh, also in CUSA, a similar deal, FAU and Louisiana Tech, kind of the same deal for those teams. Again, it, it, especially in Louisiana Tech's case, they've taken on a few more losses. Like, it, you know, it just hasn't been easy for to those two teams, but they're both in position to be postseason teams with strong finishes. SEMO um, is visiting Oklahoma State at a conference series here. Um, don't be shocked if SEMO wins a game here. Um, they're going to be up for this series. They've got an outside shot to maybe be an at-large team if they finish well and and get a game here. Getting a game here feels like almost like a a must if they're going to be an at-large team. But they typically play well in big games, and they're going to be more up for the series than Oklahoma State is. So that's something to watch there. College of Charleston um, is at UNCW. Carl of Charleston at this point is running away with the Colonial. UNCW is one of the teams that could slow them down a little bit. Although, as I say this, Hofstra is actually in second place in the colonial, uh, which I think says two things. One is that it's just not a particularly strong year in the colonial, but also Frank Catalinato at Hofstra, like has that thing going in the right direction kind of seems like uh, Hofstra has Northeastern this weekend, which Northeastern has been disappointing this year. However, they are talented enough that um, I think that's a good litmus test for Hofstra and just how good they are. Uh, Monmouth is visiting Fairfield in Metro Atlantic action. Speaking of disappointing teams, like Monmouth just hasn't been as good this year as, as certainly as last year, and as good as I thought they could be. The pitching has been a little disappointing there, outside of uh, Trey Dombrowski. Uh, Fairfield, of course, is is doing Fairfield things. Um, Marist, however, not far behind Fairfield in the standings. And as we've talked about before, there is always a series in the Sun Belt worth watching because there's just so many teams kind of roughly in the postseason mix in that league. This weekend, it's Troy at Georgia Southern. Troy has kind of fallen off the pace in terms of RPI, but Georgia Southern is still a top 10 RPI team. Uh, so winning this series in Statesboro would be huge and would probably just immediately put Troy back in the mix at least. So a big series for the Trojans, if they kind of want to get back to, uh, tracking to be a postseason team. But, uh, the series we'll talk about a little more at length is Creighton at UConn in the big East. And look, we talked about Maryland and Rutgers being the series of the year in the big 10. Like that is true. It is even more true with this series in the big East. Like this, this is it right here. Uh UConn is up by game on Creighton. Um, but these are the two teams. Xavier is, is off the pace basically. And so the, the winner of the big East regular season is probably almost certainly coming down to this series. Um, UConn is a team that has been like <laughs> in our rankings meetings, we, Kind of talk about them every week, or they're at least on our sheet every week. Um, We we got an angry email this week from someone who was angry.
0: UConn people, uh, you can just blame me. It's not Joe, it's me.
1: But I can at least see that I can at least understand where we're coming from. I mean, look, looking at their team sheet, UConn has one top fifty RPI win. It's against Louisville opening weekend. Um, that's really their one quality win. Like their metrics
0: are, are terrible.
1: They are clearly a very, very good baseball team. However, like they just haven't, they ain't played nobody, Paul, as they would say. Um, and that's, again, that's, it just is what it is. Like, it, but it is a very, very good baseball team. Um, that is the favorite in the big East. And the best thing about them is, is the starting rotation. Um, oh, but I was finishing my thought. They've really been between 25 and 30 in our rankings all season. It's just that teams kind of keep moving up around them because they haven't had anything marquee really. Um, so that, that's kind of our, our thought anything process. at get, all,
0: really, they've played five games against top 100 teams. Five. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So while, while, while I certainly have been more bullish on Yukon this season than Teddy and he, he's going to fall on the sword for that one. I, I do understand the logic there. Like I have, I have also not been like banging the table, like demanding Yukon to get ranked necessarily. Cause I, I get it. So, uh, anyway, Yukon starting rotation, excellent, like has been all year. Um, and we've talked about it before. This was a team that was going to have Reggie Crawford and whether or not Reggie Crawford was going to be able to be a starter and build on an incredible summer with team USA and all that we did not know yet. Um, but he never got a chance to try in the starting rotation between, uh, you know, Austin Peterson and Pat Gallagher and Enzo Stefanoni has just been so, so solid all year. The pitching staff generally is great. Offense I think is, is, is pretty good within the big East. I think against really good pitching, it's, Going to be a little light, I think, um, is my kind of read on that. There should be a good pitching matchup here uh, between uh, Peterson and Dylan Tabrock of Creighton on the first night of the series. Tabrock has been Creighton's best guy. And I feel like this series really comes down to, especially with it being in stores, you know, can Creighton hit enough against UConn's pitching staff? Now they've got some guys who are having really good years Alan Roden, um, you know, uh, Andrew Meggs, Jared Wegner those guys are all having really good years, but you know, Creighton's typically not the most physical offensive club around. I think that is true again this year, how much can they hit? I think that's kind of what it ends up coming down to. And, and UConn right now is in a position to be an at-large team if they don't win the big East uh, auto bid, but this series is kind of one of their last best chances because Creighton is a top 100 RPI team. At least this is one of their last best chances to actually build something before they go into postseason season play.
0: Uh, so, yeah, I would say, Briefly on that, uh, this is kind of their only chance. Like right now, season ends today, they're in, yes. Um, but if they happen to take two losses in the Big East tournament, unless they're to Creighton, it's not going to do anything positive to their RPI. And, you know, there are positive things on this resume. First of all, they have the second most wins in the country, only Tennessee has more. They have 22 road wins, they're 23 and six away from stores. Like that looks really good. Uh, but again, one and zero against top fifty teams, and three and two against top one hundred teams. Um, they kind of need this one. We'll see. Uh, I, we'll, we'll see if they don't get it, what what things start to look like. But it it, it would really behoove them to uh, go out and win the Big East regular season title, uh, because if they don't, I just wouldn't love their chances if they lost the Big East tournament. Uh, so on Creighton, though, I, they've got some serious star power. Roden and to break were the preseason pitcher and hitter of the year or hitter and pitcher of the year, respectively, uh, picks there in the big East. Roden, I has, uh, you know, really hit very well. He's hitting 386, uh, not hitting for a lot of power, uh, but he does have 18 doubles and they play in TD Ameritrade or now Charles Schwab field. And we all know what that is like, especially when it's colder. Um, but you get outside of the star power of Creighton and that's kind of where I have questions. Like, do they have enough depth to keep up with UConn? If they don't win the opener, can they come back and win this series? Th- those are my questions about Creighton uh, this weekend and, and definitely where UConn has the advantage is, is in the depth of its, its uh, rotation, especially, but really throughout the whole team that they, they just are working with more depth than I think their margin for error. And, they're you know they just don't need to be as fine they, they have more avenues to explore uh to winning this series than creighton
1: my final thing i wish um this series is on flow sports you know shouts to the Big East for for doing some of that stuff but um you know flow sports with its uh prohibitively expensive uh sign up with you know i wish there was a a way to do an a la carte thing this weekend uh because this would be a fun series to watch however you know, uh, at 30 bucks a month is a little, a little steep just to uh, sign up for a month to do, to do one series. But you would get a nice one
0: uh, here. And you would also, I believe get got the CAA tournament. Flow Sports, not a sponsor. Could be,
1: that's a decent pitch it right there. CAA tournament this month plus this. Maybe not after I complained about how expensive it is right out of the gate, but uh, <laughs> that, that is not just me saying that. I, I have heard, I have heard that that complaint about Flow Sports in the past from, from other people. So it's not just me out there on a limb on that one, I think, but uh, you know, they got, they got us, they got to make money. So.
0: righty, So that is this weekend uh, in college baseball, the series to watch. We will be back here on Monday with another edition of the baseball America college podcast, breaking that all down. So make sure you're subscribed to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us hit that follow or subscribe button. And if you can hit the, the, the rate and review, I think uh, pretty much everyone's open to that now. Spotify added that even. So uh, if you haven't given us a rating or a review, we really would appreciate it as we get down the stretch here. It does really help us and help other people to find the podcast. And so if you're enjoying this, hopefully you can uh, uh, help somebody else find the love or help spread the love, help other people find us uh, as we get down to the business end. Of the season. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy, BA. And of course, there is plenty to read over at baseballamerica.com and there will be throughout the weekend. Uh, All right. That does it for us today here on the Baseball America College Podcast. We will be back here on Monday. Until then, thank you for listening. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.